0: Welcome to Episode 7 of Tass's Inspiring Leaders Podcast. I'm Eric Simpson, and on today's episode, we'll bring you an exclusive conversation with best-selling author and entrepreneur, Flip Flippin'. We're dedicating an entire episode to the social-emotional learning pioneer as he discusses how the stress of the unknown affects both teachers and students, the difference between being trauma-informed and administering trauma-informed care, and the importance of relationship-building and helping students deal with the emotional fallout a tumultuous summer
1: we're seeing educators reach down and dig stuff out of themselves that they never knew were there
0: stick around it's going to be a great conversation today's guest is flip flippin flippin is a new york times best-selling author founder of one of the largest educator training companies in america which was also chosen as the number two best company to work for here in texas by best companies He's a serial social entrepreneur, which means he's founded nine successful mission-oriented companies, won the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award with his wife, Susan, and he's built a 500-acre boys' ranch after working with Kang's and building a large nonprofit outpatient clinic. If that were not enough, he and Susan have helped raise 20 kids from across the globe, some adopted while others are, quote, theirs, ranging in ethnicity and backgrounds. Flip was one of our thought leaders during this summer's first ever virtual summer conference. And on June 10th, he was already looking ahead to the fall.
1: School, school is coming and it won't be the same in many ways. And my question's not schools. My question is, will I be the same? Will you be the same? Like it or not, right now, you're running a startup. You're running a brand new company. Yes, you have the same employees, and hopefully you have the same customers, but the processes and the approaches will be different.
0: Today, we'll talk with Flip about his unique perspectives on education, racial issues, opportunity, and how the effects of summer 2020 will reverberate for years to come. Flip Flippin, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks Eric. It's always a pleasure.
0: The the summer conference, I think it really took place Right before um, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, really peaked, we, it's before the big resurgence in the pandemic. Um, you and I were just talking a second ago. We have a hurricane on the way, so the stress is not letting up. We're going to continue, I guess, twenty twenty being as as stressed out as possible. Who's feeling that weight of that stress the most? Uh, students, teachers? How do they how do they approach this differently?
1: Well. You know, Eric, that's really a great question. I mean, the, um, the reality is, is that, is that right now the stress is hitting everybody and the, but the, I think the biggest concern uh, is that it's hitting adults and it's hitting educators probably as much or more than it is anybody else other than our immediate health care providers. You know, when we look at kids, if, if kids are in poverty or, or in dysfunctional environments, that impact on them is very significant. Obviously, you know, schools, they're major social service providers. So it's, it's not that they're just academic institutions, but they are major social service providers. So if we take that group of kids, they're being impacted, I think at a pretty high level. But the reality is, is that uncertainty impacts all of us. And right now with educators in particular, they're, they are being far more impacted than are most of the kids that they are serving. They feel the stress, they're aware of it, they know the economic implications for our country, things that kids have very little awareness of. You know, even if you're in poverty, I mean, if you're, if you're poor, you're already poor, so your concern about loss is, is not the same. And, and so for me, my biggest concern is the educators. You know, here's, the, here's a quick thought on that, Eric. You know, so go the adults, so go the kids. Mm-hmm. So if the adults are doing well, the kids are going to do well. And if anything that adults can do to lower the anxiety and stress that they're expressing is going to be beneficial to the kid.
0: Whenever you're thinking about poverty and, and stress and uncertainty in students, we know that that has a long-term uh, effect on on their well-being, their achievement. What do you think the long-term effect might be for teachers?
1: It's going to be the same. You know, the the reality is, is that high levels of stress, not, not just poverty, but just stress, uh, they, they directly impact our neurological system. Mm-hmm. The primary impact on that from a, a medical or a clinical or a neurological point of view is on the amygdala. It shrinks the hippocampus dramatically. Yeah, that's due to elevated cortisol levels, and the hippocampus is short-term memory. So, Eric, you could be the most wonderful teacher in the world with a great curriculum and 100% engaging, but the reality is, is that neurologically, I can't even retain what you're teaching to me. And you know, Eric, here's a fascinating thing: every adult knows that this is true. And the easiest way to know whether or not this is impacting your hippocampus is you will literally get up and walk into a room to do something and not have a clue why you walked in that room. But here's the, here's the beauty of this whole process. And that is that Paul Zak out at Claremont university and many other neuroscientists have discovered that we can actually regrow the hippocampus. So to tell me that as an educator or just a person or friend, that I can directly have an impact on the structural uh, makeup of your brain, that's a staggering concept. So now your your next question is gonna be, so how the heck would we regrow that hippocampus? <laughs> and that's yeah. the beauty of it, is building trust and safety and affirmation, stressing kids so that yeah, I'm gonna stress you a little bit, but you're gonna handle it. We're gonna grow, but we're gonna be okay. We're gonna do it in a safe environment. And, so what do you do? You tend to the relationship, you tend to the people, you, uh, you engage, you love, you care for them, you affirm them, you celebrate them, you embrace them. There are tons of ways to do that, even in virtual environments.
0: Let's talk about that. How do you establish relationships with participants in the virtual offerings in your own programs?
1: Well, so let me just point out to you, my friend, that we're in a virtual environment right now. And how did we start out? I mean, you hit Zoom. We came in and we had a warm and welcoming engagement. Uh, We were very welcoming to each other, pleasant tone of voice, smiles. And and even if you had a mask on, even if you were present right here, I can still see your smile. But where I see it, Eric, is in your eyes. And so, you know, there's 2000 micro expressions in your face. They're categorically divided into seven different groups. You look at that, you're like, wow, we're missing a huge part of facial expressions right now. But the reality is, is that what people look at first is your eyes anyway. Mm-hmm. And children especially look at your eyes. And if your eyes are smiling, they're they're going to know it. So let's kick out some other thoughts. Words of affirmation, touch. Yes, touch. How can we touch people? Um, one of the things that happened the other day in a virtual environment. One of my grandkids came through the room and I said, hey, come here and say hi. This was a corporate meeting with business leaders from Dubai, London, and New York on the call. And that little grandchild, she leaned over, kissed me, happy, I love you. And I said, sweetheart, say hi to everybody. You know, of course, they're kind of chuckling. She runs off and let me tell you what happened. It jumped up their oxytocin levels, it raised their serotonin levels, their dopamine levels, it lowered their cortisol levels. I know what happened with their heartbeat, their respiration, their blood pressure. I can tell you what the galvanic skin responses are. So in a virtual environment, we can still do all these kinds of things. And here's some some really powerful thoughts about this too, Eric. because we are starving. We are starving for human interaction and human contact. And, and I'm telling you, people did not know, they had no idea to the depths of which we are social beings until we went into quarantine. And so that's, that's what we do. You know, The question is how do we meet the needs that we find most important to us, which is being together. So in the last uh, six weeks, I'm gonna suspect, I'm guessing, but I, the number's gonna be pretty close. We've probably trained around 15,000 teachers in groups of 50 for two days from all over the country. And we've done a ton of that, 80% of that probably virtually. And there are, you know, there are some tricks to that that I think are are really neat. I mean, being able to look at people right now, I, I can see all of their names. They're all right there on the screen. I actually can chat with them. We can actually break up into break rooms, which wow, that's a that's a great concept. I've never given a keynote, Eric, where I've been able to watch rolling in front of me questions about something that I may have done that wasn't clear. And Lord knows I can be unclear. At times in in my mind it was brilliant, but <laughs> maybe maybe not so much. And And so I I love that. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Did that make sense? You know, hey, how many of you guys had two coffees this morning? Thumbs up, thumbs down. And, and, you know, you can build off all of these things that you cannot do in real settings. Uh, Normally, uh, people could sit there quietly and listen. You can't do that with us. You just can't. I'm going to be sitting here saying, so, okay, everybody hit the chat box right now. Give me a real quick response off the top of your head. Tell me what you think about this. And it just floods with responses. In a group setting, I would get one response while everybody else sits and listens. And so we have a powerful dynamic here if we'll capitalize on that. And Eric, what that means, candidly, is I've got access to intellectual capital that I normally would not have, but I also can see intellectual deficit in areas where I, as the teacher, or I, as the speaker, can back up and say, wow, that was seriously not cool. Let me back up because I was not clear about that. So I'm candidly, it's opening up lots of doors that are really, really good. We'll be right back. This episode
0: is sponsored by Verco. Verco has proudly manufactured industry-leading furniture and equipment for K-12 schools since 1950. Verco is a valuable part of TASA's Corporate Partner Program and we appreciate their sponsorship of the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Learn more about their 21st Century Classroom at verco.com. A link is in our show notes. When this pandemic began and you saw the majority 80% of your your things going virtual, did th- did that scare you? Did did you uh, did you feel ready to to jump into this platform in a different way?
1: Um were you You said a key word there, Uh, did it it scare you? Uh, Eric, I I don't mean this disrespectfully, nothing scares me. Um, Everything I look at, I think is an opportunity. I've spent my whole life learning how to take what are normally frightening things, upsetting things, disruptive things, uncertain things, and reframing those, turning those around and saying, what can I do with that? How how can I do that? I remember when I was working with gangs and a kid pulled a gun on me and um, you know and I was like seriously, why would you want to shoot me? I mean why would you want to do that? I'm a really nice guy. I have no other agenda than serving you. And he he literally started grinning and saying yeah that was kind of stupid. And I was like I hope so. <laughs> I mean, you know it, it. I mean I've been in some crazy situations and. I look at our company and I look at our team, we have one desire and that's to serve. And if what we're doing is not working, well, we're gonna fix it. We're gonna change it, we're gonna tweak it, we're gonna understand how to get better at it. And, and when I look at, at teachers right now, this is unsettling for lots of people. Well, let me let me tell you, as an entrepreneur and, a, and a, a, an innovator and a creator, that sort of thing, you just start out knowing, hey, you're not gonna get it right. You are not going to get it right. Eric, I promise you, you have blown it more on podcasts than you would ever dream, but you can edit it. Right. Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't, I don't care that I get it right. I care that I get better. Mm-hmm. I care that I get better. I want to get better. I, okay. It didn't work this way. Let's try something else. But I want to tell my kids that in the classroom. I would say, good Lord, that was crazy. What the heck was that? and I want to be okay with that. I want them to be okay with failing, I, but I want to fail quick, and I want to fail successfully. Let's move it down the road. Let's make this work.
0: Yeah, I got a friend who always talks about failing forward, that exactly. like you, have to, you have to be moving forward in that. Um, as a as a leader, um, what can you do to help lessen the trauma? Uh, how how do you be both informed by the trauma that's going on? Because 2020 is not over. It, we, we're going to continue to deal with um, some uncertainties, I'm sure all the way, all the way through. So what can the leaders do, uh, to design socially distance schooling, but in a way that's still supportive. And like you say, kind of keeps you from being paralyzed by that fear and looking for the opportunity on how to grow.
1: If you're going to lead, you better know how to deal with your own anxieties. Mm-hmm. This, this is leadership is not for the faint of heart and leadership in education today is absolutely not for the faint of heart. But what we are seeing, we are seeing people in education that people have, quote, said they were leaders, that in many cases, they didn't act like it. But today, we are seeing them rise up and do things that they never dreamed they were capable of doing. This week, or last week, I was on the phone with uh, Paradise, California. Paradise, California is the town that burned down. It wouldn't like a few houses burned down, the town burned down. And I'm on a Zoom call with all of their staff and faculty last week, listening to these amazing people. I mean, I see people saying, well, you know, I'm stressed about is my virtual program gonna work out? And I'm like, okay, time out. These people had their entire town burned down, their schools, their community center, their churches, their homes, their grocery stores, and their cars. I mean, what the heck? And look at what they're doing. I mean, we're seeing educators reach down and dig stuff out of themselves that they never knew were there. And I I have so much love and respect and admiration for what I'm seeing so many places in the country. But I'll tell you, paradise for me, oh my gosh, it really is paradise but it's because of the people it is beautiful and i am am so honored that we get to be deeply involved with them
0: you know it it's funny because you said you know they they've dealt with losing their entire town but they're still worried about their virtual program that they're working on right now it, it just goes to show that no no matter what you've gone through like there's you know there's there's something there that that uh is, is going to catch you off guard and you are gonna have to adapt to and, and rise to the occasion. But it, the, having that behind you has got to be inspiring.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we think about things people overcome and how incredibly strong it makes them for the future. You know, we don't, we don't want it. I, I don't wish it on anybody, but we all go through things. Mm-hmm. And, but when you come out the other side of it, you got to remember you came out the other side you came out the other side. I see kids that, I mean, they suffer in horrible situations. I I mean, I saw patients for so many years. I worked with gangs for 16 years. You see all these things, Eric, and, and, and a kid could start to tell me how bad his life was, or I'd listen to some adult tell me how difficult their life was. And after they were through with this story, that they honestly, I think, internally kind of hoped that I would look at them and say, oh, God bless you, poor soul. Let me help. You know, and I would just sit there and say, do you have any idea how strong you are to have dealt with that? I mean, do you ever stop and think about, I mean, you just do not make a good victim. You're amazing. (laughs) You're just amazing. And this is awesome. Now, what can we do with this? And we've had this, Eric, in our own family. I mean, we've got children, you know, that are obviously uh, our, our children now. And some of them have gone through absolutely horrible things, things I would never want a child or anybody to go through. And and, and we've sat at the dinner table with many, many tears on many nights, but the bottom line is it's not how long can we cry or how tough the situation was. The bottom line is you were stronger. You were stronger. And now what do we do with that strength? And I'm watching educators, they had no idea what was in them. And watching them reach down and pull up astounding leadership. I mean, I love those people. I've been so impacted by the qualities I've seen in so many educators.
0: What what are some things that have inspired you uh, recently in what you've been seeing in, you know, districts going back to school or districts supporting students, uh, as they, you know, as they transition from,
1: uh, home to, to school? Now, one thing that I see that great leaders do is they keep hope alive. They keep hope alive when it is as desperate as it could possibly look, they know how to keep hope alive and And the joy for me that I'm seeing right now is we're not walking around talking about academic scores nonstop. We're talking about purpose. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about who are we? How do we convey that? How do I show a kid that I love them when I can't touch them? I can't be around them. I, all I can do is be on a zoom call with them. And those, those to me are the, tremendous things of the of the leaders that we see. So that's what inspires me, being able to convey hope when everything else looks like it's failing.
0: Hope is so important to our traditional conception of education. It's seen as the great equalizer. And this summer, again, we've really been forced to reckon with our racial history and the reforms needed for social justice. How do you address such emotionally fraught topics in the community and with students? And what role does emotional learning play in these equity discussions?
1: Uh, Eric, let me, let me tell you how I feel about this in the deepest way. We, we are an aspirational people. We aspire to be better. Our Constitution is aspirational. Our schools, our schools, Eric, are aspirational. I have aspirations for the children that I'm in contact with. We want to be better. I want to be better for every person in our society, and I want them to be better. And I and I truly believe we would not have written that in our constitution in, in a way that opened that door if that's not what we were about. And, and it doesn't start, it does not start at the courthouse, it starts at my house. It starts at my house. And from there it goes to the schoolhouse. And I, I just feel very strongly about that. You know, we can disagree about things and we should in many cases. That's democracy at its best to me. But underneath all of that is a deep caring and respect for the integrity of the individual. You know, something that we did, we started uh, teaching social contract theory over 30 years ago and that's the basis of self-governance which we think is critical to a school to a classroom to a company and, and 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 the whole idea behind it is that we write the rules for how we will treat each other i mean that's the whole foundation of our constitution and our government and and so if i'm going to build a strong social contract it's really about building strong healthy relationships and and that's, that's what we're trying to do. So now let's back up and talk about some of the injustices and things that we see. The first thing we started doing is, I, I, got, I got all the minority population in our company on a call. You now, we had a huge call and I didn't care what color you were from or anything else, but if you could have been part of a minority group that ever would have felt oppressed, you were on that call. And the first thing we talked about is, guys, how are y'all doing? How are you guys doing? How can we best be there and take your view right now, because I don't want any of you in any unsafe situation. That was the very first response. The second thing is, is what do you feel we need to do to be able to better understand experiences that all of us, all of us have had? I'm not interested in just the black experience, the or brown or the Indian or the Asian, or I'm interested in everyone's experience. And I want to know if something's not been good or right or best, what can we do and how can we better understand each other's experiences too? Because, you know, I've got, I mean, I've got African-American sons. I've got a son from God. I've got a son from Russia. I get Hispanic kids. You know, I've got mixed race kids. We've got Ethiopian grandchildren. I mean, golly, our family is the United Nations. And and we sit and talk about these things, but many of them have different experiences than I have. I I don't know what it is to be a 17-year-old African-American kid walking down the street and the white ladies are locking their car doors. I didn't have that experience. Even when my son comes home and says, "Daddy, why?" And i was like, "Sweetheart, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure." And and to hear him say, "Do I look? Do I look like a, a thug?" Or, "No, son, you don't look like a thug." Again, I think there are other issues there. So we had very open discussions about those things, and 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 then of course the next question is, how do you facilitate? Those discussions among other people.
0: It seems like you're getting at a much more empathetic line of interaction here, where it's not just knowing the issues, but understanding that these are moments to connect with people.
1: the The key to this is having the social emotional skills for us to care about others and their life stories but also knowing the appropriate things to do and being able to help them with that. I'm not gonna inform you about any trauma in my life if I don't have some kind of relationship with you. And so being able to build relational capacity with people that allows them to be able to share is, is really the beauty of a relationship. And you know, if I just came to you and said, well, let me tell you the injustices that have been done to me and I just dump those on you, and then I'm expecting you to do something about them, we don't have a relationship. And so one, I've, I've wasted, candidly, I've wasted the sharing of my personal experience when, when that actually is precious capital. And the second thing is, I'm expecting something of you without a relationship that's a really uh, undeserved expectation, if you will. And so when we have trauma-informed care, not just trauma-informed again, but we have trauma-informed care, the whole purpose of it is building deep relational capacity. You know, we're uncomfortable with things that aren't like us. And so I want to know what are the shared experiences that we have and how can I help achieve the things that are important to both of us so that we have opportunity?
0: Well, it seems like you're talking a lot about broadening the conversation and making sure that everybody has a po- a place to enter into that conversation where it's not exclusive. It, it's it's really about building some of those those common understandings, and it seems to fit in really well with that social contract that that you advocate for for classrooms.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, Eric, we've we right now this this week and last week have watched thousands, actually, probably tens of thousands. That's a, that's a real number, by the way. That's not hyperbole, but probably tens of thousands of classrooms build their social contracts, and many of them are doing them in virtual settings, and they're sitting there throwing up on the screen in the chat boxes, here's what I want, here's what it means to me, and, and then we agree. We agree. This is how we want to run our class. This is how we want to do our virtual classroom. This is how we want to engage with each other. And one of the classes recently said, no, we don't want anybody in bed. I don't want to see you guys laying in bed all covered up and the only thing showing is your eyeballs and your computer. We don't want that. You know, this is a classroom. Get up and sit up and get out of bed. And, you know, you can sit on the edge of your bed, but if you do, I mean, uh, be engaged. and." And I think it's fair for the kids to say, this is how we want our class. It's the purpose of self-governance. This is who we are. And when we're not being who we aspire to be, then we're going to support each other in becoming that. And So it's a, it's been a great process, Eric. And candidly, we're having a ball. We're absolutely having a blast. I can't wait till I can see you personally and uh, hug you and tell you how much I appreciate you. But you're getting it nonetheless right here. You're smiling like a... Uh, a Cheshire Cat right now, so I'm enjoying it. Uh, I can't wait to see you in person. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Eric. Hey, listen, it's always a privilege and an honor. I appreciate so much who you are and what you do. Thank you for the integrity you bring to your work. Hey, thank you so much.
0: Learn more about the Flippin' Group and their pioneering social-emotional learning approaches at flippinggroup.com. There you'll find a link to their educational solution Capturing Kids' Hearts. Over the next few episodes, we'll delve into the equity work different public school districts are attempting in light of this summer's racial reckoning and Black Lives Matter protests. We'll hear from superintendents bringing their districts together and attempting to heal racial divides in their community. We'll visit with education partners, working to address equity at the system level. We thank all of you for tuning in to the TASA Inspiring Leaders podcast. We'll have new episodes throughout the fall, so be sure to look for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe. Thanks to Flip Flippin for this week's interview, and a special shout-out to his team, including Sean Murphy and Jordan Smallwood for their support. I'm incredibly grateful for their time and expertise as we produce this episode. Thank you to our sponsor, Verco, And until next time, from all of us here at TASA World Headquarters, stay safe and healthy.